Welcome to this month's episode of the Cornell and Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast, a combination of views, news, and tips relating to topics and situations relevant to guys going through divorce. In this edition, we'll be focusing on the increasing prevalence of social media showing up as evidence during divorce proceedings. We will also include some tips on how you should manage your online profile to minimize the potential negative effects your posts will have on your case. To start us off, Cordell & Cordell divorce attorney Kimberly McCabe of Indianapolis will explain some of the potential dangers posed by social media, texting, email, and other digital communication channels during a divorce. With the current state of affairs, you can generally presume that anything that you post online, any text that you send, or any email that you send to your spouse or to the other parent could be used as evidence against you at a hearing later on down the road. So, as a word of warning, before you tweet, before you post, before you hit send, double check that message and make sure it is something you would feel comfortable defending and or letting the judge see in a court of law. On another point, your attorney might tell you that it's important to document all communications with the other parent. However, if you are doing this, you must be very careful about what you are saying in those emails and text messages and that you are not sending any messages when you are angry or sad or frustrated because those messages could again be used as evidence against you later on. When you are communicating with your spouse during a divorce proceeding or a custody proceeding or a paternity proceeding for that matter, you will want to make sure that you are communicating about matters relating to the child, that you are not including any language that could be considered harassing, offensive, or uh, blatant disregard for any respect for the other parents. You will want to make sure that you are keeping it short and simple and that you are communicating again on matters related to the child. If in doubt, don't hit send. Sleep on it for a night. If it's not a communication that has to get sent out right at that moment, don't send it. Think twice about it. And if still in doubt, and you want to express these feelings of anger or frustration, talk to your attorney. Your attorney might have a better way to communicate what the current problem is and your feelings of anger and frustration to opposing counsel without you getting in trouble for it. While a tweet or Facebook status update may seem innocent enough at the time you post it, that may not be the case if it is taken out of context in the courtroom during a divorce or custody hearing. Cordell & Cordell attorney Cassandra Pianell of Austin, Texas gives some tips on how you can temper your social media posts by putting each potential comment, photo, or status through a series of considerations before you publish online for the world to see. The impact of social media on a divorce case can be enormous. So when deciding to post images or comments on your social media page before, during, and even after your divorce, Ask yourself certain questions. Ask yourself, would I want this comment to be seen by a judge? Would I want this photo to be seen by a courtroom full of people? Would someone understand this comment if they were reading it out of context? Would someone approve of this comment? Would my mother approve of this comment? 
Would my mother like to see this photo? Would I want my children to ever see this photo? Ask yourself, could this comment or photo hinder my case? Sometimes deciding not to post a comment as innocent as it may seem or a photograph, however harmless it may be to you on a social media website or on a social media page could be wiser or more advantageous to your case. A big splash was made at the end of July when AshleyMadison.com, a popular dating site that helps married individuals have affairs, announced a data breach that potentially compromised personal information of their 37 million users. This brought up speculation that if the records were leaked, there could be a landslide of new divorce filings across the globe. Dadsdivorce.com editor Sean Garrison spoke with Pennsylvania family law attorney William Felon about the impact of the breach data from this popular adultery networking site, as well as how infidelity is treated during divorce proceedings. William, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, William, to start with, uh, there's been some debate as to what impact uh, the security breach could have uh, just on the number of couples who are seeking, potentially seeking divorces. Uh, one side argues that it won't have much of an impact at all since uh, most people these days aren't really seeking fault-based divorces. Um, what is your take on the topic? Uh, do you see there being a surge in the number of people seeking divorces, or do you see that the impact is minimal? Well, while I, th while I think that it'll take uh, some time to actually see the ultimate impact of this recent data breach and its effect on the rate of divorces, uh, I think overall you could see uh, a potential increase in divorces. And there's uh, two reasons for this. First is the actual seeking of a fault-based divorce on adultery, as you mentioned a few seconds ago. And so after the data breach and these individuals are revealed, you may have some injured spouses, some aggrieved spouses looking at this and thinking, I now have grounds for a divorce for adultery, and that could get them to seek counsel and file for divorce on that ground. So that's more of a legal reason, but there's also more of an impetus reason, uh, the driving force, a more practical reason, and that is that you're going to have these uh, aggrieved spouses figuring out that, that, that their loved one was on a site like Ashley Madison fooling around, and they are just going to be upset about it. They are going to want a change in their life circumstances because they're going to feel wrong. And so they could go seek a divorce on any grounds because you do have fault ground divorces. Uh, a recent ABA, American Bar Association survey, showed that 34 of the 50 states in the District of Columbia still have fault grounds and some people still do choose fault grounds. Uh, the only downside is that they could be time-consuming and more expensive. So instead practically speaking again, these spouses who found out that their other loved one was on Ashley Madison can go for no-fault grounds, where they just have to wait a certain period of time to advance the divorce and uh, from a date of separation usually, and then get the divorce granted. So I think overall, considering those two factors, you may, at the end of the day, uh, see an increase. And what about from, uh, from the divorce attorney's perspective? You know, if you're representing a client um, and the opposing party has been discovered that they, they had activity on the site. Um, is that something that you're, you're able to use as evidence in order to uh, get your clients a better, uh, better settlement? 
Well, I, I think first it depends on where you practice and, and how the courts treat uh, action and, and behavior like that in, in the course of a divorce, um, because usually any competent attorney would know that and then use that factor in settlement negotiations. But I think in and of itself, showing if, if somebody was on Ashley Madison, that doesn't per se show adultery, uh, especially, uh, for example, where I practice in Pennsylvania. For adultery, you have to prove sexual intercourse. So regardless of a site like Ashley Madison, that is a tall order to fill usually uh, to prove in a court of law. So. Uh, it, you know, it, to go that far and show that being on Ashley Madison led to sexual intercourse may not have uh, much sway in negotiations at the end of the day. And I know this varies by state, but can you elaborate on some of the ways that uh, marital misconduct can, can come into play during the divorce process? Um, even in no-fault divorces, are, are, are there ways that a person's infidelity can potentially uh, factor into the final divorce settlement? Yeah, that's a great question, Sean. Um, where I practice in Pennsylvania, it definitely can, and it's something that should be kept uh, in everybody's mind going forward. Uh, so even if you're going forward on a divorce and you're not seeking grounds for the adultery or the marital misconduct, uh, it can come into play in a few ways. First is in the support case, specifically the support between the two spouses. So in Pennsylvania, there's something called spousal support which is uh, between the two spouses and it's when usually when the parties separate and it's also before a divorce complaint is actually filed. So the spouse who files for it, if they are the ones seeking spousal support and they committed uh, adultery or had marital misconduct, the, the spouse who may be obligated to pay that spousal support has what's called an entitlement defense. So the entitlement defense says, hey, I don't, I don't have an obligation to pay you any spousal support because it was your fault that the marriage has broken apart and why you've separated. And that's usually how that argument goes. So that's the first one. Second is that marital misconduct is explicitly listed as one of 17 factors in the Pennsylvania Divorce Code for how alimony is to be awarded by the court. So it, that's always something, it's just one of 17 factors, but it's definitely something to be mindful of. A third reason is that you want to be aware of is if the marital misconduct or the uh, adultery uh, affected the marital estate. And usually a, a very common example of that is where you have the spouse who's committing the affair, has a, a paramour, if you will, and is using marital assets and marital funds for that relationship. And that can be held against them when the court goes to decide how the marital state is to be divided. Because if you're using uh, a joint checking account um, and, and using what's a marital account to pay for a relationship, that's dissipation of marital assets. And then finally, another reason, uh, sometimes to a lesser extent, depending on the circumstances, is how this could play out in a custody case. If you're going through a divorce and you have children and you need to decide on custody, if you have a, a paramour uh, or a mistress or a, some a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you have to be aware that if that person is around the children, that that impacts the best interests of the children and the children's safety, especially if that uh, person that you're having that relationship, that side relationship with, uh, has some type of a history or something that should be known that could be potentially dangerous to the children.
Sure. Um, and with the rise of the internet and uh, just these various social media websites, uh, we're seeing more and more that a person's online activities uh, are, are factoring into to their divorce cases. Um, based on your experience, what are just some of the, the different ways that uh, an individual's social media usage um, can factor in just to, into the overall divorce process? I think when it comes to social media and the overall divorce process, especially when you're looking at it in the light of something like marital misconduct, uh, cheating and adultery, uh, there's two ways that it, it can impact the divorce case. The first is the, the legal legal, you know, how it can impact the, the legal aspect of your case. So for all the reasons that we just discussed earlier with how it impacts, can potentially impact spousal support, alimony, distribution of the marital estate, even custody, uh, you, you know, if there's something out there on social media that could be brought into evidence and can hurt your case, then that's going to affect the bottom line as to what the judge awards one party over the the party who's uh, performing the misconduct. But I think uh, something that's often overlooked by the parties and sometimes even the, the family law practitioner is the practical aspect of all of this social media evidence, especially when it comes to evidence that deals with cheating. Uh, regardless of whether that, that uh, you know, social media uh, evidence gets into a court or gets you know, up to a judge for consideration, even before that it can impact your case, practically speaking. So if, you're, if the aggrieved spouse sees that, and let's say you're in the middle of a divorce and you're in the middle of negotiations, that spouse could be so burned and so scorned by it that they can just walk up from the settlement table and then you are litigating your divorce. And that could lead to unnecessary time and fees. The other uh, part of that, though, is that it can even enrage uh, the aggrieved spouse so much where they could start filing litigation in the case just because they are hurt by it. And that's just human nature and that's something to be aware of. So even if a, a litigation, something that's filed uh, is meritless, it's still done and you're still having to pay the expense for it. So that practical aspect is also very important. With nearly one and a half billion active users, Facebook is easily the largest social networking site in the world. Consequently, a 2011 study found the word Facebook mentioned in more than a third of divorce filings, and it isn't hard to imagine that number has likely increased since. While it isn't possible to completely purge your posts from the internet and keep them out of the hands of the court, Cordell & Cordell family law attorney Becky DeVincent of Fairfax, Virginia gives some pointers on how to limit the damage from your Facebook account during your divorce. Can be a great tool to stay in touch with your family and friends, but you also really need to be aware of your Facebook activity when you're in the middle of a divorce. It's a good idea to step away from Facebook or try to limit your posts. You have to understand that everything you've posted on your Facebook account in the past and during your divorce is going to be scrutinized by your spouse and he or she is going to be looking for that evidence that's going to put you in a bad light as it relates to your case. Also keep in mind, if you deactivate your Facebook account, opposing counsel can still ask you to download the history of all your Facebook posts. And this can be done by cl simple click one button on Facebook and everything is downloaded. 
everything you ever posted, messaged, or did on Facebook, including anything anybody sent to your, you or posted on your wall, can be downloaded. During a divorce or custody case, it's a good idea to limit your Facebook activity. You should at least unfriend your spouse, her friends and family, and also change the privacy settings so your account is not open to the public. You should also make sure that other people can't post on your wall or make any comments. Most importantly, never post anything about your spouse or your contested case. Despite the fact that social media has become notorious as a source for evidence and digging up dirt on the opposing party during divorce, at least one couple recently used it to bring attention to the benefits of a harmonious divorce. DadsDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison spoke with Keith Henson, who last year inadvertently became the poster child for amicable divorce after a selfie he posted with his ex-wife of them smiling with their divorce papers went viral. Now you and Michelle have a very unique story. Um, can you start by telling us a little bit about why you and Michelle decided to make this post about your divorce on social media and what purpose you hoped that the post would serve? Well, to be honest with you, you know, when we, when we split, we were uh, separated for about 15 months before the divorce went final. Um, right out of, the, out of the gate when we separated, you know, this wasn't a, a divorce built on contention. You know, we weren't really weren't. We didn't dislike each other. It, there was no um, there was no negative happening. Nobody cheated on anybody. There was no abuse. You know, there wasn't rampant fighting. It was really that over the five years we were together, we just started to realize that we had evolved personally in different directions. And so, where we saw our lives ten years down the road, just kind of were in different places. And so it was kind of more of a proactive step to split. You know, we just kind of had that conversation. Said, you know, we're probably going to want to move in different directions eventually, and inevitably one of us is going to have to compromise what they want out of their lives to be there for the other person. And we've seen that it, it you know, a lot of resentment comes in to play when that happens. And so maybe we should make a proactive move, a preemptive move now before we you know, dislike each other before there's fighting, before we, you know, kind of poison ourselves um, mentally and, you know, emotionally. So we always had the idea that we wanted to do this as, as um, easily as possible. So we didn't get lawyers involved in our divorce. We did a simplified dissolution, which you can do in Florida. And we took our time with it. And um, so leading up to the act of the um, Michelle had um, a uh, pretty severe medical procedure she needed to go through, which kind of took her out of a work for eight weeks and had her in bed for a couple weeks. And so about two weeks after, two, three weeks after her procedure was her court date. And so she said to me, you know, let's still go forward with it. Let's go ahead and, and, and go with the court date. But she goes, you know, I can't drive. <laughs> and so you're going to have to come pick me up. And I was like, that's fine. We'll drive together. So, you know, we were catching up. We were sitting in the waiting room of the uh, courthouse with a bunch of other couples that were, you know, shooting daggers at each other. And her and I were telling stories and catching up and, and kind of chuckling and laughing. And so we we're obviously different from everybody else. And 
after we saw the judge, we filed our papers, we were walking out of the circuit courtroom, and she actually said, with our, with our, with our divorce decree there, she actually said, hey, you want to take a selfie? Just as a joke. And I said, why not? So we took a selfie, and it was on my phone, so I just posted it to my Instagram, and I connected it into my Facebook, and it kind of just went from there, you know? Um, there really was no big plan. It was just... If you know Michelle and I, it, it's just, you know, we try to take things as lighthearted as possible and to have fun with, you know, smile even in a bad situation. And so it wasn't a big surprise to our friends. And that's really all it was intended for was, hey, you know, this is, it, it's officially done now, but we part as friends and we smile because this happened. We don't frown or we're not upset because it, because it ended. Sure. And you mentioned right there that, people who knew both of you weren't really surprised by this. Was the reaction to this post mostly positive from your friends and family? Uh, almost all positive from friends and family, yes. You know, and I wouldn't say that there were any negative. If anything, there were just some people that were, I, I hate to say confused, maybe more, um, uh, what's the word, you know, maybe more uh, perplexed that it, it's just so rare. Why would you, you know... If you still are so happy, why are you getting a divorce? That kind of thing. So it's more confusion. But from our friends and family, we were, I can't remember any negatives coming back. That's really great to hear. And now what's the relationship with you and Michelle like now? Are you two still in touch? Absolutely. You know, one of the, um, one of the things that happened was that we, have, uh, we don't have any children, but we have two dogs. And uh, those are basically like our children. And so when we did split, we decided that we did not want to uh, split the dogs up. So uh, we said, well, you know, we'll just share custody. So all through our separation, you know, we're up in May. It'll be two years uh, since we separated. And in all that time, you know, every week I, we, we see each other at least twice a week to pick up the dogs and drop off the dogs. And so we've always remained uh, friendly. And, and especially when she went through her, her procedure, when she went through her uh, medical situation, she, uh, you know, that kind of really it brought us even more closer together, you know. And, you know, I still love her, and I know she still loves me. And although that love has changed, you know, I kind of, the, the way that I can kind of, uh, the way that it makes sense to me is it's almost more like a brother and a sisterly type of love. You know, we're still family. We're no longer in love, but, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go to the ends of the earth for her, and I know she'll do the same for me. Absolutely. And now I know you weren't necessarily trying to make a larger point by making this post, but do you feel like a story like this has the potential to sort of send a positive message uh, about the possibility for spouses to remain on good terms and even even remain friends, even though their marriage didn't work out post-divorce? I think so. I absolutely do. You know, um, I've gotten a lot of messages, and, and so has she, you know, through Facebook and through Instagram, and um, I've definitely gotten a lot of uh, positive from people saying, thank you, you know, this really helped me. I'm going through a similar situation. And it's good to know that you don't have to hate each other. You know, sure, there were hard moments. You know, I'm not going to say that there weren't. Um, some of the negative comments uh, would be along the lines of, 
you make divorce seem easy and it's not easy and how dare you. And it's like, you know, all we did was post a picture and that's it. We didn't put out a big commentary on how you should run your life and how you should, you know, deal with the divorce. For us, this was just what felt natural. And, you know, we're both very kind of spiritual people. Um, and it was more important for us to kind of rise above. And so I think if that message gets out to, to other couples, I think that's great. And I, I definitely can tell that it has. I've gotten feedback that people have, uh, this has helped them, you know. So uh, I think that's great. That's all we have time for in this month's Cordell & Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast. Hopefully this gives you a better idea of how social media can influence the outcome of divorce proceedings, and you'll be more attentive about what you post while going through this process, since you never know what might show up in court and how it will look to the judge. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for interviews, news, tips, and more covering a range of topics facing men during divorce. You can also find a number of resources on our website at cordellcordell.com, as well as our informational sites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com. 